Amen. We thank you this evening for your faithfulness, uh, leading us into worship. Uh, appreciate you giving and your faithfulness in that tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2 this evening, the book of Genesis uh, chapter 2. I want to preach uh, a very practical message tonight um, as I ministered this morning on the subject of parenting. Uh, I felt uh, stirred in my heart even uh, two days back uh, to preach on the subject of marriage. And I want to visit this subject because one of the things that triggered this thought is um, how I begin to observe uh, some of the statistics that have been coming out in the recent months and even in the recent year. They completed the recent statistic in November of 2020. And uh, to my utter surprise, uh, the median age of those who are being divorced or who are going through divorce uh, mostly are in the age of 30 to 34 years of age. And um, in Selangor itself, what, what really alarmed me was that in Selangor, uh, obviously, um, that includes a few different districts. There were 38,803 marriages that were solemnized um, and registered in the month of, or rather in 2019. But in total, out of the 38,803, obviously this is an accumulative figure, 11,765 ended in divorce. That numbering is staggering, or that number is staggering, because you're observing close to a 30% marriages that somehow end in divorce. And I know that that number is very subjective. With, the, with, with that being said, 38,000 marriages and 11,000, it doesn't mean that 11,000 all got married in 2019. But 11,000 couples that divorced in 2019 is a very staggering number indeed in Selangor itself. I began to think about that. I began to ponder that. And I began to observe some things, especially in the recent weeks. And all that's been transpiring, you read about some of these marriages. Um, we are reminded of all that we see taking place and what the enemy is aiming to do in the time and in the period that we're living in is he's aiming to assault and attack an order that God has put in place. Parenting is an order. It is God who set parenting in place. And I told you this morning, if you want to learn to be an effective parent, you have to make effort to learn to train and to study the ways to do so. And I mentioned this morning that there are ways to do that. There are so many resources that are available today. But more than all the other resources, the Bible is the best resource. And if you go back to the Word of God, you would find that parenting involves order and so does marriage. It is God who designed it. 
This is the greatest union that exists. And I say this because when you look at marriage, beloved, you understand that in the union of marriage, there is always an association in the Word of God between the bride and the groom to Jesus and His church. A marriage is parallel to how Jesus views His church. The bride and the groom. And this is why the enemy forms weapons, assaults and darts against marriage because he understands if he can attack this union, he can attack the sanctity and the principle that God has indeed put in place. I want you to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 to 24 with me. If you're not married, don't shut me off. Let me tell you something. Whether you're married or you're not married, this message matters to you, and I'll say why. Because you need to be fighting for people to stay married. You need to be praying because the devil is assaulting this today. And if we're not careful, uh, we will not only see the trend increase outside the church, but even within the Christian faith, you will start observing more of divorce cases and assaults that are being formed against marriages. Genesis chapter 2, 23 to 24. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of men. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Genesis 2 verses 18, I want you to observe the purpose God put this in place. Look at this. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So it is indeed, according to Scripture, God's intention that marriage was set in place for the purpose of uniting two people, making them one, because not only will this bridge the need for companionship, but this will bridge the need that, that, that is represented in every human being on planet. And this is what we have to identify that the great designer of this union that we are referring to as marriage, the great designer of this is God Himself. Marriage was God's brainchild and is God's brainchild. A man and a woman should be joined together and become one flesh and it works best when it's done His way. One of the greatest designers in today's generation is a man by name of Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive, according to, a, according to a, a, an article that came out a while ago, has earned himself 5,000 patents that is attributed to his own name. He was simply doodling. One day he was sitting down in a book uh, that was written. Uh, he was simply doodling on a piece of paper and Steve Jobs walked past and he was extremely impressed at what Johnny Ive was drawing on the paper. And he said, you know what, I'm going to take you in and you're going to be the designer for Apple. So Johnny Ive became the chief designer and he became the chief design officer for Apple. And for most designers, we know, beloved, that they've always have to find a way to improvise. 
They always have to find a way to change the design. They always have to find a way to upgrade and to think of new technology. There's always, you know, the need to do something different because there have been mistakes maybe in the past. And then people start complaining and then they have to modify their design to accommodate uh, to people's demands. But can I tell you this evening, hear me carefully, marriage is God's perfect design. God doesn't have to rethink this. He doesn't have to sit down with His angels and ask them, hey, do you guys think that coming up with marriage was a great idea or should we just kind of shove it down and let people, you know, uh, live without being married? It is God's idea. It is God's design. And according to the Scripture, the Bible tells us that God made Adam a helper that is comparable to him. Today, what is missing in marriages is that in most marriages, it is oftentimes the idea or even the concept that my spouse is there to make me happy, to give me what I want. And that is the idea. This is what Hollywood presents in the media today, that you get married, you divorce because now your spouse doesn't give you what you want anymore. Go look for someone else, marry them, and then live with them for two years, and then go on, look for someone else who can satisfy you and fulfill you. And this is the concept that is being pushed and promoted to our youth today. Can I say to you, beloved, it is indeed God's plan, and we have to ask tonight, if it is God's design, if marriage is God's design, then what did God have in mind concerning marriage number one he designed every marriage to last Matthew chapter 19 verses 6 so then they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let not men separate amen this is what the Satan will intend to do. This is what Satan tries to promote. He promotes the separation. The Word of God is very clear. Marriage is a commitment. And once you're married, according to Scripture, it is for life. You have to work it out. This is not a company that you enter. That you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to enter this business together with you, this business called marriage, and then you're going to get 30% of the equity. I'll get 70% of the equity. And then when you're not happy, um, I'll reduce the equity to 20%. I'll reduce it to your shareholding to 10%. And then, you know, because you're not happy, so I hold 90%. And then once we're done, we're done. You know what? Let's go our separate ways. No, marriage is meant to last. It's built to last. That's why before you get married, you have to understand that you have the right partner. You see, the, the thing I find so often about people who want to get married, and one of the great dangers today, is we look for people who somehow, oh, he's in church, he serves God, he is so, you know, uh, 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 determined to live for God. He's such a, uh, you know, uh, 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 a wonderful person or she is a wonderful, you know, she's involved in ministry and all of that. And I get that. I understand that that's what we look for. 
But you know what I found, beloved? Oftentimes, when people come into my office, when they're going through something in their marriage, they don't come and talk to you and tell you, oh, you know, he doesn't want to serve God now, or you know what, he doesn't want to do this for God, or he, he you know, he's, he, no, no, no. Can I tell you what they come and complain to you? He's a bum. He doesn't want to work. Right? Or he's stinking rude. He doesn't treat me well. He talks to me with disrespect. He puts me down. He treats me like a doormat. Right? Or, or what else do you hear? He doesn't handle money well. We're always broke by the end of the month. Right? You don't hear them coming to you. But I thought you married him because he was serving God. But he's not good at money. He can't keep a job. He doesn't have good characters. He doesn't have friends. Didn't that occur to you? So I now advise people very differently. Yes, you need to look for a man or a woman that's living for God and serving God, but also pay attention to their character. What, is, what are their characters like? What kind of character do they have? You see, it's staggering, as I said just now. 30% of the, of the marriages in Malaysia... Uh, uh, in Selangor itself, and again, I say that very subjectively, there's a large number of people who are getting divorced in a year. In Selangor itself, that's very troubling. I picked up a, a, a statistic. They said in a, a couple of years ago, there were in, in America, 50% of every marriage in America ends in divorce. And I say to you, beloved, if, the, if that is not clear to us, we have to identify that Satan's agenda is to bring separation between a husband and a wife. And the Bible tells us in 24, to be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. In other words, from the very first marriage union, God set the precedence, this is joined by God. It is a permanent union. And being one flesh, when it is pulled, when it's separated, what happens? There are pain, hurts, scars, and there are wounds. That's why you don't get married and then just end your marriage in divorce and assume that children will not get affected. Your family will not get affected. You will not get affected. Your, your, the people that are around you will not... Somewhere, when you pull what God joins together, it will indeed, indeed bring harm and hurt that may never you may never recover from. There are deep-seated wounds that come from divorce. It affects the family and it affects the children. Malachi chapter 2, 15 to 16 God says, but did he not make them one? Genesis, uh, sorry, Malachi 2.15. It, it's not there, is it? Uh, okay, maybe I, I missed that. Um, just listen to this. For the Lord of God of Israel says in verse 16, he hates divorce. And what does he say? For it covers one's garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously i had a friend who recently uh, got married uh, probably a year two years ago my age 
got married to this girl and after marriage we sat down last year i think it was have been somewhere in july or august of last year we were just chatting we are we're you know uh, schoolmates and so he's telling me uh, with ease he's just sharing this story yeah 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 just Ah, forget it. She doesn't want to, you know, uh, communicate well and she doesn't want to, you know, make things well for me. Uh, so, you know what? I just told her, you know what? Let's just go our separate ways. And, and it, it seemed like it was such an easy thing to do. And so I, I, I told him, I said, hey, you know what? You need to sit down and talk. Uh, you can always let me know if you're ready. We can talk about this and see how we can, you know, help, you know, uh, 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 maybe you want me to sit down, talk to her, whatever it is. I said, let's, let's, you know what, don't give up on your marriage. He ended up divorcing the girl. And just last week, uh, maybe three weeks or maybe a month or two months ago, I was supposed to attend a wedding of, of one of our other friend, a common friend, and then he told me, hey, I'm leaving for Korea. I met another girl. She's a Korean and I'm marrying her. And, I'm and he just left to Korea two weeks ago. It just seemed like, how? How can you just let go of her? And the, like the Bible says, it is covering up one's garment. with. It is a cover-up. You never find the hurt at the, mo at the present. The hurt will come later. There will be wounds that you will have to deal with later. Your children will have to deal with those wounds. And that's why God describes to you and I, divorce is not in His will. The second thing, number one, God joined it together. He designed marriage to last. The second thing that God did for every, He designed it to be between a man and a woman. Now, I'm not talking about LGBT. I'm talking about one man and one woman. Listen to me carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2. I know we also probably have to cover LGBT. <laughs> this generation, you know. <laughs> 1 Corinthians. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have own wife. Own. You know what own is? <laughs> your own. Just yours. Don't look at other people's wife. Just your own wife. You need to look, look at your wife. You, you, you get, you, Paul is making it so clear. You know, if you, if, if, your own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Own wife, own husband. Simple. This is God's order. And I realized that the, the, the designer of marriage, the, the, the creator, the person who is behind what marriage is, God himself began to describe to us that a marriage is supposed to be monogamous, not polygamous. You know, you're not, you're not supposed to be one man with four wives, wherever that appears to be very popular. But this is what the enemy has so successfully interfered with in our generation, where he has convinced couples that there is nothing wrong with having an extramarital affair. This is what destroys marriages when we don't keep the sanctity of marriage. You see, when you are looking or when you are watching or when you are, you know, and I don't want to say too much, you understand what I mean. Besides your wife, you're looking at images 
of things that you shouldn't be looking at except on your wife. You're committing adultery. Isn't that what God says? What is adultery? Adultery is when a man looks after a woman and to lust after her. You see, women, listen to me carefully. If you're watching online, you're not married, listen to me. Before you look for a man, you make sure he's not a lust bag. He can be serving God. Hey, I, I've said, I, I, I worked you know, in a company years ago, and I had a friend who was a Christian. Go to church, but every woman that walks past. I said, what's up with you, man? What's wrong with you? Don't you have a wife? Why do I say that? I know it's so, it, it's so rare. Call me, call me Kolot. You know what Kolot is? Narrow-minded. But narrow is the way that leads to life. If you can't hold your lust, get married. But my point is, my point is, beloved, God designed it between a man and a woman. And God despises the violation against this order. It is not God's intention for a man or a woman to have outside marital affairs. And even as I minister this this evening, as critical, as vital as this is, Everything that comes down to marriage, beloved, must come from the very Creator, God Himself. It comes from God's Word. The third thing that a marriage must, and the designer in, uh, uh, made it to be, number one, as we said, it, it, He designed it to last. He designed it to be between a man and a woman. Uh, thirdly, He designed it to bear fruits. Genesis one twenty eight. Now, listen very carefully here. God blessed them. Then God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I say to you, this is not directly just speaking about having children. This is not directly just speaking about having uh, 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 you know, a busload of uh, a football team of children. But what this is really speaking about is that you have to enjoy your marriage. You're going to have to experience fruitfulness in your marriage. You're going to have to experience that in your marriage there is the power of God that is present and that you see God beginning to move. You see God prospering you and your wife. You see God blessing you. You see God moving in supernatural ways. And this is what God intends for every marriage. He intends for every marriage to bear fruits. He wants to have His involvement in our marriage. And as believers, even when our spouses, may, you, you may look at them and say, but they are not believers, Pastor. But can I say to you, it is God's will that we begin to uh, 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 conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of Him. That in other words, I believe there is a blessing upon the family because of a woman or a husband who is saved and chooses to conduct themselves according to God's ways. 
1 Corinthians 7, 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now, this is not a license to go and look for an unbeliever and marry them, but this is God giving us His grace because of what has happened. And somewhere, we realize that, you know what? My husband may not be a believer, my wife may not be a believer, but I have to stand and be a testimony to them so they can be saved. So let's bring this down to a close because what are we talking about tonight is how do we thrive in our marriage. You know, I don't know if you read the story, but his, um, there was a groom who began to uh, sue his bride for damages. Uh, one day after their wedding, because what happened is she got up from bed after they got married. The next day, uh, they slept and then, you know, she woke up. And when she woke up, uh, that was the first time he saw her without makeup. He was terrified. And so he sued her for 13, he sued her for $13,000, Euro dollars, for inflicting psychological suffering on her. He told the court he mistook her for a thief. I told you makeup is a good cover-up. Marriages must be... Now, listen to me. Women, Pastor Mitchell said, some women need paint on the barn. I know we want to go without makeup sometimes. I know we want to, you know, yeah, he has to love me naturally. But you, you don't understand the psychology of a man. Uh, he needs to see a little bit of ching ching, you know, color on your face, you know, just so that he, you know, you've got to attract him somehow, you know. <laughs> I know you just want to you know, keep the budget low, but you, know, you don't want to save on, on makeup. But marriages must be built. They don't just happen. You don't get a prosperous marriage just because you're a man and a woman. It, is, it has to be built. And I declare to you, there's a man who made this statement, a successful marriage is an edifice that must be rebuilt every day. It's an everyday decision that you're strengthening your marriage. So I'm, I want to speak this evening and bring this to a close. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there in the Word of God and then let's close this evening's service. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22, verses 22 to 28. The Bible says in this passage, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Oh, the husbands love that. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water and by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So I want you to catch this. This is not, this is not in favor to the men. I know men like to quote that. Submit to me, women. Listen to what I say, I'm the head. No. If you're not a godly man and you don't exercise headship, 
spiritual headship in your home, you have no right to demand that from a woman, number one. Number two, you have no right to demand that from a woman if you don't love her in return. This is a complementing factor. You don't demand for submission without love. Amen. Oh, you listen to me, woman. You, this is what you're going to do. This is how I want you to do it. No, you don't do that. Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wife. In other words, submission is only as good as love. And as much as you love the other. Submission is only as good as how you love the other. And I say to you, God being the designer gave us the order in this passage on how we ought to be treating our marriages. Can I say to you, beloved, I know you hear a lot of preaching that goes on out there. I, for one, you may disagree, I, for one, believe that God is not going to judge us whether or not we are saved for our salvation. Oh, welcome. Is your name in the book of life? All right, your name is there. So I'm, God's not going to judge us based on... Let me tell you what God's going to judge us on. How well we treated our husband or wife. How have you been responsible in your role as a parent? How have you been? And how responsible have you been in your role as a spouse? Whether a husband or... And I think if you ask me, God is going to judge His people based on these factors. Did you treat your wife well? Did you respect her? Did you treat your husband with, with respect and with honor? Did you do what is necessary? Did you treat them? And I believe, beloved, that somehow that God will look down and these are going to be very important for us because He provides us with the guidelines here. And the balance to this here is that true submission comes through love. I'm convinced when you love your spouse, submission comes naturally. So what are the, the practical keys that I want to close with tonight? I'm making it very simple for you tonight that I'm convinced will help every marriage to somehow thrive you read in China, during the lockdown, there, were a massive, there was a massive number of people who began to go to the courthouse to apply for a divorce. Because what had happened is, their wives were getting so upset that their husbands were just sitting around, and I say exactly as they say, playing with phone. <laughs> That after the MCO, after the lockdown, they say enough is enough. We're going our separate ways. Let me tell you three things you need to be actively doing. Number one, and I think this is so simple, but listen, it's so, so, so missed. Or rather, it's so rarely done. Can I say to you, you got to learn to communicate. 
one of the great breakdowns in marriages that I've counseled every time they come to me is that somehow they tell you, Pastor, he doesn't tell me anything. She doesn't tell me anything. I remember reading about a couple who was so intensely arguing and, and, and the pastor stepped in and he says, you know, why are you all arguing like this? And what, what's wrong? You know, and, and, and all of that. And then, and then what shocked the pastor was the whole argument that happened wasn't even verbal. It was on text. I hate you. I hate you back. And the whole thing was done on phone and they got so affected by this war, this war of words, that they wanted to go their separate ways. Can I tell you, beloved, you got to learn to sit down and communicate. You see, there are ways to communicate. You know, there are proactive communications where you sit down and you talk about it. You discuss things, you discuss issues before doing something. Then there is the reactive communication where I'm going to react because we do something first, then we talk about it. Then there's the radioactive communication which says that don't touch those issues because I'll blow up. And this is the this is the reality with marriages today. You cannot be having radioactive communication. Listen, husband, wives, don't do things behind each other. That's where the problem starts. You start listening to people who, oh, you know, don't care what your wife says. Don't care what your, your wife, you know, or your husband. Listen to me. When they give you that kind of advice, you need to run from those people because they don't understand marriage. You're going to have to live with your husband. You're going to have to live with your wife the rest of your life. Do what pleases her. Do what pleases him. If they don't agree on it, learn to talk about it. You've got to learn to communicate. This is where the problem starts. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgments. Isolated people always think they are right you say no that's a bad idea you know what they like no you don't know what you're talking about let me tell you and they, and and you know they flare up because an isolated person a person can i put it to you this way a person who doesn't have exposure right is where they lack the proper judgment. A person who constantly isolates. And oftentimes, if there are words of communication, if there are things that are spoken of in marriage, can I say to you, you have to learn to speak life and encouragement into your marriage. Even though you may not like to speak those words, you have to fight to speak those words. I was reading a story many years ago about a girl uh, by the name of Moko. Uh, sorry, her father was Moko. And, and what had happened was, this young girl stayed with her dad. Moko wasn't the nicest man. He was an evil and he was a wicked man. And because of that, his daughter suffered being under him. He, her shoulders were slouched over. She was a young girl, but her shoulders were slouched over. And when she came to the age of marriage, her father announced it to the village. And because she was so unattractive, she looked ugly. 
Nobody really wanted to marry Moko's daughter. But eventually this young man came. And this young man said, I'll marry her, but I, I'll give you eight cows for her. This was back in those days, right? Which usually in those days, in order to be married or, or in exchange of marriage, the man would only probably give one cow or a maximum of two cows. So Moko couldn't understand this. Why would this man want to give eight cows for my ugly looking daughter? She slouched. She doesn't look, she looks like she's been laboring on the field. She, she looks worn out. But this man married her. Years later, the father was so disturbed about why this man would do such a thing. So he went home to his son-in-law. And to his amazement, as he knocked on the door, his daughter, the one who married that man, opened the door. She was dressed in a beautiful white dress. Her countenance had changed. She stood up straight with confidence. She was a completely different girl. The difference? Because her husband spoke words of life, lifted her up, and valued her. So Moko asked Johnny, you and I knew you could have bought her for one cow. Why did you buy her for eight cows? Johnny simply said, I wanted an eight cow wife. And Johnny went on to say that he wanted his wife to wake up every morning knowing that she is the most precious and valuable person on the island. Let me tell you, that's the kind of man you want in your life. The second thing besides communication is you need to learn to forgive. Marriage carries with it an incredible urge to get bitter, upset, and angry. It's so easy. When you live with someone long enough, you realize that somehow it becomes so much easier to get angry with them and it becomes harder to forgive them. And I think part of this is because you take for granted what God has given you. But one man said, forgiveness is a repair kit for marriage. But good communication prevents the damage from happening. Matthew 7, 3-4 Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. This is one thing that every married couple must learn. They must always be willing. Can I give you the, 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 the six, uh, five-letter word that you have to always hear? Sorry. I remember sitting down with a man. and I began to tell this man, I said, listen, you need to go home and you need to say you're sorry. He looked at me, puzzled, sitting down with him in a coffee house. He looks at me, puzzled. He's like, I was like, what, what did I say? I said, you have to go home and say you're sorry. You, you messed up. You did a mistake. Say sorry. 
He looked at me. I said, what, 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 what's wrong? And, and, and after probing for a while, I realized, he said, uh, we don't say stuff like that in our home. We never say sorry. We just go on with life. In a marriage where two parties are not perfect, we are bound to always find flaws with each other. And that's where you've got to learn to keep your heart right and continue to do the right. Percy and Florence Aerosmith for a while held the longest marriage of a living couple. They lived and they were married for 80 years. Having the largest married couple aggregate age, 205 years. Both Mr. and Mrs. Aerosmith have since died, but they left good advice for those who want to have a lasting marriage. Florence said, you must never go to sleep, bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, you make it up. Never be afraid to say you're sorry. Percy had slightly more humorous advice. He said the secret to his long-term marriage was just two words, yes, dear. And that is true, beloved, I can tell you. When you learn to say you're sorry, and I don't have all the time, I, you know, we, we can talk a lot about this, but I'm laying down the groundwork tonight. But when you can learn to say you're sorry, if you would take that with seriousness, as the Bible says in Ephesians, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. When people go to sleep angry, the devil plays with their mind. You've got to learn to forgive. The third thing that you got to do, and I close with this, that, that in every marriage that I've seen that has succeeded, is you got to learn to serve one another. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. You know, as husbands, we have a tendency of, you know, uh, uh, going to a restaurant, and then when you ask your wife, what do you want? She says, ah, I don't know. Or she'll say nothing. Right? Right. Okay, she'll say nothing. Say nothing, la. no, la. not hungry. I say, okay, I'm going to make a burger. Do you want one? No, no, no. no. <laughs> but the moment the burger comes out of the, you know, the, the air fryer and you put the bun on and, you know, you put it on your plate, she's, she don't even ask you. She takes her hands and she grabs a hole and she takes the first bite. And you're like, if I asked you if you want one, why are you touching mine? Right? You're laughing because that's true. That always happens. What do you want? Nothing. And then when you order something, they'll take your food. Say, you should just order it. I didn't stop you from ordering. I didn't tell you not to order. You should just... Beloved, that's part of service. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what the husband does? Yeah, I just go. It's like, why are you ordering so much? Because you will eat. <laughs> so I don't even gamble ordering one plate. I'll say bring two. Because I want mine. And the truth is, beloved, the Bible says, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church. Part of marriage is learning to give your portion up for your other half. In marriage, when all we are is selfish, we will never be happy. There are some things your wife doesn't like, 
there are some things your husband doesn't like. You have to find a common ground to say, let's work this out. There are some things my wife doesn't like that I do. She, some things that I don't like that she does. And we talk it through. We say, listen, I don't like the way you said that to me. I don't like the way you, you know, you spend, you know, I told her a while ago, I said, you know, you spend so much of time in the kitchen. I wished you just came out and spent a little more time with me. No, I'm not joking. She gets into the kitchen at 9 and she doesn't come out until about 2.33. She's cooking, she's baking, she's preparing. And then after she does all of that, then she goes back. We all eat like pigs and then she goes back into wash. So sometimes I just, why don't we just order something instead of you washing? Or why don't we, and I'm not a paper plate guy, you know. But the point of the matter is, the truth is, the truth is, hear me this evening, is that we have to learn to lay down our lives for someone else. That's marriage. We may be doing something that's getting under the skin, like for example, throwing your underwear on the floor. And your wife gets offended. Can't you just throw it in the basket? And you know, it gets, learn to change that. These are all the little things. But your marriage is worth fighting for. Amen. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Because at the end of the day, beloved, in my lowest of times, I can tell you, it is my wife who has always been by my side, who has lifted, encouraged, and has spoken words into my life. Reminding me that I am, you know, able to overcome i am able and when i hear those words that she you feel like you're a hero and you realize i can do this and i'm telling you it's not only in this is true with life when you speak those kind of words to people it lifts and encourages them and i close beloved right here there's a story i read about donnie register was working at the cash register. Sounds like a poem. <laughs> That's why I, I took a while before I, I was like, okay, Donnie register working in cash. At his store that was located at the antique market in Jackson. When two men walked in and they held him at gunpoint and demanded money, a shot was fired at Donnie at his head as he threw up his hands. Remarkably, his wedding ring deflected the bullet. Pieces of the bullet lodged into his neck and fingers, but none of his injuries were fatal. Donnie, who has been married for 38 years, doesn't chalk it up to luck. He believes his marriage saved his life. I knew being married was a good thing. Sad man for 38 years and then finally you came to that conclusion. But I just didn't know it was that good. <laughs> His wife gives God all the credit and says this story is a good reminder that men should always wear their wedding rings. How it's saved. And, and, and put, that, put that aside. I mean, you know, wedding ring. I'll wear two maybe. But the point of the... Two because... Uh, no, <laughs> two because one came from my family and one came from my wife. Okay, so two. Okay, anyway. That, that, I've seen 
Pastor Paki Raj wearing two. I see Pastor Ellen wearing two. So I said, Tula. <laughs> okay, but it, all jokes aside, the truth is here, beloved. Listen to me carefully. Your marriage can save your life. It can keep you sane. It can protect you. It can vindicate you. And I'm challenging you tonight, beloved. You've got to learn somewhere to partner with God and understand that, you know what? God put you with me and we're going to have to fight to keep our marriage immaterial of what people say, immaterial of what, how we feel. Marriage, I say to you, is a commitment. And you're going to have to learn, beloved, to fight for your marriage. Learn to serve. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close.